Hello and welcome to the Dynamic Leaders Podcast, part of the Talent 409 Leadership Academy Network. I am your host, Colin Cernelia, and thank you so much for joining us today. Please head over to talent409.com to learn more about how we can help your team or organization with their leadership and culture development. This podcast is available on Spotify, YouTube, iTunes, Apple Podcasts, and wherever else you listen to your favorite podcast. Plus, don't forget, you can now play this podcast on any Amazon-enabled device. Just ask Alexa, play the Dynamic Leaders Podcast. Getting Dynamic Leaders with Colin Treniglia from Apple Podcasts. Before this episode begins, please consider taking a minute and leave a rating and review. Doing this really does help us grow the show, and you can get featured for your review on a future episode. Okay, on to episode 124 of the Dynamic Leaders Podcast. Today, my guest is Amanda Clements. Amanda is the owner and operator of Beyond the Game. She's a mental performance coach who's worked with clients in the NFL, women's football, and college sports. Amanda is also a former Division I gymnast and competed in the sport overall for 17 years. Topics included in today's conversation are how she was able to be so competitive at such a young age while in gymnastics. This is always such a fascinating point of conversation for me that you have to commit at such a young age to being so competitive for one sport. So we talk about that. We also talk about why she struggled with her transition into life after college and how that led to her playing women's football. Yes, really. Then we break down her three pillars to her performance coaching, and we focus especially on when it comes to managing anxiety. This is a good part of the conversation for not just athletes and performers, but for the general population as well. And then finally, we chat about why winning or the outcome shouldn't be the focus of performance and goal setting. My highlight for this episode is really that last point. When we put the focus on winning, that's the wrong type of culture that we're creating. And Amanda talks about that, that it's not just in sports, but it's in the general population and in the world as well, where the outcome is what leads to things like anxiety, for example. And the reason for this is because we can't control the outcome. There are too many variables out there that affect the outcome. So Amanda argues, and I've often made this argument as well with coaches when I say, (laughs) if you're just going to focus on winning and your only goal is a national championship every year, guess what? Every other team has that same goal. So if you have no other goals, you're going to go home every single year and be pretty disappointed. And that's probably not going to make for a great culture. And Amanda talks about how we can't control the umpires in a game, for example. We can't control the weather in a game, for example. There's just so many things that are out of our control. So her argument and my argument as well is always to say that we should focus more on the process. So if you take a goal, like she talks about, if you run a 4-5 and you're trying to knock that down a little bit, we focus on how we can knock that down, breaking it down into smaller goals. The outcome is important, obviously, and things like winning are fun, but you can't get better if you just set a goal for outcome and don't focus on the process. So I love that part of the conversation. I think you'll really enjoy that. So let's not waste any more time. Let's dive right in and let's discover our talent altitude. Here is my talk with Amanda Clements. Okay, everyone, welcome back to the Dynamic Leaders Podcast. Today, my guest with me is Amanda Clements. Amanda, Hi. <laughs> thank you so much for joining the show. Oh, no problem. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, this is going to be so interesting and so much fun to talk about. I love your background, especially the work that you're doing right now. So I'm not going to spoil it all. I want to give you an opportunity to tell the listening audience a little bit about yourself. So please tell us, who are you? Yeah, sure. Uh, my name's Amanda Clements. I am 
local to the Baltimore and DC area. I'm kind of situated ideally right in between the two. Um, and I've spent the last, oh, about six to eight years now, um, growing and working on a business as a mindset coach for athletes and performers. So that's what I do now. And that's how I spend my time. Awesome. So I like to usually dive in to start the conversation, just learn a little bit more about people's athletic backgrounds. Most folks that I talk to, yourself included, have some type of athletic background that has brought them to the point where they are today. So I'd love to learn a little bit more about you. You were in gymnastics for 17 years, competed at the division one level. How did you get involved and how did you get to those heights that you attained? Yes. So we actually got involved. I have three siblings and we all did gymnastics to various stages in our lives. But we actually got involved at the local swimming pool that we used to go to when we were just kids. And my mom had, you know, met a woman there. They just got to talking and she was a gymnastics coach. And she said, you know, at the time we were kind of doing just basic tumble tots for like three to five-year-olds. But she worked at another gym that had a competitive team. And she said, you guys, you know, you've kind of tapped out at the place that you're at. You should definitely consider checking out our gym in case you want to grow with it or see where it goes. So we went over there. We all signed up for classes, basic recreational classes. And I think it was on my second class a competitive coach came over and pulled me out of my class and said, Hey, let me see you do a cartwheel. Can you do a handstand? All right. Do you want to be on preteen? And I was like, Oh, what? (laughs) So that was around, I want to say first grade. I started doing preteen and that just led right into competition a year later and continued growing. For those of you that know gymnastics, it goes up to, level 10. So I competed up through level nine in high school and then competed division one in Towson, Towson University. One of the more fascinating aspects that I find with this type of sport in particular is how young you are when you have to not only be able to identify stuff like from a coaching perspective, when you just told that story about that coach who (laughs) first grade is saying, Hey, can you do this, do that? But then also just from your personal experience and what you want to do with your life? Do you want to get super competitive when most people around you are just goofing off and playing street hockey or shooting hoops in the driveway or doing whatever they're doing? And it's it's so different than what most people encounter from an athletic experience. And mm-hmm. I'd love to learn a little bit more about your personal experience and how you were able to make some of those really life-changing and altering decisions at such a young age? Yeah, I think this is actually such a fascinating question. I'm glad you asked it because it really lines up with a lot of things I do as a mindset coach. A huge belief of mine is that, you know, the way we think, the way we process is completely programmed by everything around us. You know, what we're involved in, who we're surrounded by, what we see, what we hear. So when you're kind of decide to start a sport just because it's fun to flip around and jump and be on the trampoline and all of that. And then someone pulls you out and says, Hey, do you want to do preteen? It's going to be four hours or four days a week, two hours a day. And you just kind of do it because you're still like flipping and jumping and it's fun. But because you're surrounded by that, your mindset quickly just sees that this is normal. This is what you do. This is what gymnastics is. And so you just quickly develop a belief system that if you want to be a gymnast, this is what you have to do. It it has to be very involved. Practices become, you know, minimum three and a half. I've heard gymnasts, you know, practice six hours a day. A lot of them are homeschool. A lot of them practice twice a day. Um, So depending on the type of gym you go to, depending on what level of competitive they are, if you're surrounded by that 15, 20 hours a week, it just feels totally normal. And you quickly realize that if you're going to do gymnastics competitively, that's the only sport you're probably going to do. Training is year round. Competition is for several months of the year. Um, And as soon as competition is done, you're training for the next level. You're trying to learn new skills 
And it's just a continual process. And it was actually weird for me to look at other people and be like, wait, you have months where you don't have a sport and you have, (laughs) you know, you don't have to go to practice and you can go to whatever birthday parties you want. (laughs) You You know, it was that to me was hard to comprehend because that's not the life that I saw. I went to school. I did my homework. I went to practice. And that's not to say, you know, I didn't do anything fun. You know, my best friends were my teammates. So we did all sorts of sleepovers and things. But again, you know, during the sleepovers and the parties, I was still surrounded by gymnasts. So mm-hmm. it wasn't strange for me at all. And it wasn't really like a conscious decision. It's just, this is what I got involved in. I'm enjoying it. So yeah, obviously I want to go to the next level. Yeah, I want to see where this goes. I will say, looking back, I was hugely lucky in that relative to most of the other gyms that we competed against, I would say mine, you could consider very laid back. I mean, we can uh, practice four days a week, I believe, four days a week, three and a half hours a day, which relative to a lot really isn't that much. We were competing against teams that practice six days a week, four hours a day. Um, so we, they usually crushed us at competitions. <laughs> but at my gym, you know, my teammates were my best friends and for 25 years have still been my best friends. My coaches, for the most part, were really wonderful people and people that I still talk to and people I still see. You know, we've got the occasional coach that really was not great or was that not, you know, super emotionally supportive. But that was, I would say, few and far between. And I distinctly remember in high school talking about, I think, another local gym was opening up and some people were leaving and going to different gyms and doing different things. And my dad specifically said, if you leave this gym... He said, that's totally fine. If you want to, you know, not do gymnastics, totally fine. But if you leave this gym, you're not doing it anywhere else. And I didn't understand it at the time. But he could see what the life was like at other gyms, what other coaches were like, what other training was like, kids that were doing in homeschooled and things like that. And he said, I'm not doing that. Like, as far as gymnastics, this is hugely involved, but I don't want it to be more involved and I don't want it to affect you more than this gym is doing now. So I guess really at the core, just being in that environment, surrounded by an environment, there was never really a decision to be made as to this is gymnastics and this is what I'm going to do because I was just in it and just accepting of it with the exception of deciding whether or not to do it in college. That That would be the one decision where I felt like I really had to stop and think about. Sure, and actually that, leads me to a couple questions that I had. So I love the fact that it seems like your whole experience was very organic and very supportive as Mm -hmm. you just put it, not only from your coaching and your friends experience, but especially from your parents and they kind of saw where it could get a little bit deeper and a little bit more involved. And if you wanted to take that, maybe you could, but there were realities to consider in that moment. So Before we talk about the college decision, which you mentioned was a pretty tough one, it seems like to make, when we're talking about gymnastics and so, for example, the Summer Olympics are coming up and gymnastics is one of those big events and there are young girls and young guys out there competing and you have to make that decision maybe two, three years in advance, start training for it and everything. Did you ever come to a crossroads there where you said, hey, maybe not the Olympic level, but you wanted to like start taking it to that next level at the amateur level? No, you know, gymnastics is such an interesting sport in that if you're going to go to the Olympics, you're probably already on track by the time you're in middle school. And you're certainly going to go to the Olympics prior to even being in college. You know, a lot of them go when they're 15, 16, 17, and a lot of them end up not going to traditional colleges because they're still either trying to go back to the Olympics or still training or they've homeschooled their whole life. So the idea of college seems weird. (laughs) Um, So I was never, there was never a point where I thought I would be on track to the Olympics and never really even considered it. I advanced incredibly quickly in the sport for the first, 
I would say five to six years, I moved up really quickly. I was skipping levels and moving up. And then once I got to late middle school, high school, I started to really level off. I struggled to grow and develop and move up levels. You know, you go through growth spurts and you go through puberty and you go through things in life and those become hard to adjust to. And then of course, as I see with many of my athletes after several years, that's when you develop fears and you develop worries and then that hurts performance. So there was never a time where I just thought, you know, consciously I'm going to do the Olympics or I'm not going to do the Olympics. I don't remember that ever really being a thought. I think I always had in the back of my mind, maybe I'll do it in college one day. We'll see. Um, and that was just kind of always in the back of my head, but I was always just kind of focused on this season and this meet and what am I doing right now? Sure. So f- from the college perspective, what went behind it being such a tough decision? And I don't mean tough in a necessarily bad way, but something, as you mentioned, you needed to really sit down and think about, was it because you had been doing it for so long and you were experiencing some burnout? What went behind that whole decision-making process? I surprisingly was not experiencing any burnout because my junior and senior years of high school, we had a new coach come in and he was one of my favorites. And I felt like he made practice fun and he really got us to grow and improve. I was having like the best scores that I had ever gotten and just really enjoying the process. I remember walking through the hallways of high school one day and just being like, wow, I'm excited to go to practice today. And there have been so many times where you're just like, can't wait till it's over. I can't wait till that, you know, and I distinctly remember being like, wow, I'm really looking forward to it. And I remember being very surprised by that. So I wasn't experiencing any burnout, which is, I think, pretty shocking for a lot of gymnasts just because of the intensity of the sport. And you start when you're like, five years old for a lot of people. So it's a long time doing it. I think I was just, you know, unsure because at that point I wasn't someone that was, you know, dominating competitions. I wasn't really winning a lot. My scores relative to a lot of people weren't that great. Um, So I wasn't being recruited by any means. So it was more if I wanted to compete in college, I had to go out, put myself out there, send in tapes, contact coaches. So it was deciding, do I want to do that? Will I even be able to make it on a team? And then, you know, if so, which team am I going to compete for? And it was really my dad who made the comment and I I think he probably made this comment when I was much younger and it just kind of stuck with me. He said he really regretted never pursuing baseball in college. He said, you know, he was a pretty good player and he just kind of had it in his head that, oh, I'm probably not good enough. So he said, I didn't even try. And he said that regret of not even trying and just finding out, could I have played or not? Mm -hmm. He said that really haunted him. And that kind of like gave me this sense of freedom that if I do choose to do this, I'll get peace of mind as to whether or not, you know, I have a chance to compete. And even if I do have a chance, you know, I could change my mind at any time. If I don't like it, if I decide I don't want to compete, if I decide it's too much, I could just say, all right, I tried it. It's not what I want. I can step away and be at peace with that. And I think that idea of you don't have to absolutely decide and then that doesn't have to be a concrete decision. You can change your mind later. I think that gave me a ton of freedom or a sense of freedom anyway. And so my the owner of my gym that I grew up in, he's the one that suggested Towson University. And he said, I think you should talk to these coaches, send them a tape and you know meet with them. And I did. And they were, I ended up talking to three different schools with gymnastics teams. And they were the ones that said, you can definitely walk onto this team. We'll treat you like all the scholarship gymnasts. You know, you have a chance to earn scholarship money. If you work hard enough, um, you won't be any different. And that to me was like, 
yes, this is exactly <laughs> what I'm looking for. And I loved every aspect of the experience. I'm so glad that I did it. Yeah, that's very cool. And it's awesome to hear those triggers that went off and just said, hey, this feels right. This feels comfortable. Like sometimes we tend to say, get out of your comfort zone too much, but I think there's still something to be said about being happy <laughs> where you are, especially especially if it's like a four-year commitment. I mean, I know you could transfer <laughs> different right. things like that, but if you're going to be making that long-term commitment to somebody, you do want to be comfortable in some ways. So. <laughs> right. And I think that goes to, you know, not just comfort because it feels good, but comfort because it aligns with who you are. Mm-hmm. Yes, absolutely. It feels right. I, I like that a lot. Yeah. Okay. So you have your college experience and mm-hmm. the first time that you and I connected offline, we had talked about your transition after college and mm-hmm. how you struggled with that. And yeah. you're not alone. I think I've <laughs> said that to you before. And I'm one of those people that struggled and many people who listen to this podcast listen specifically for this point in the conversation where they can hear someone else's experience, maybe learn from it or pick up some tips. But I'd love for you to just tell us a little bit about what that experience was like, why it was so difficult and how you ultimately navigate it through it. Sure. So initially, as soon as I had my last competition, my senior year, um, and I knew gymnastics was like done, done for me. The day of, like the day of that last competition, when it was over, it was emotional, but it was just kind of sad, but excited, but at peace, but at like confused, like now (laughs) what? Um, Because literally overnight, you know, you spent the last 17 years training four or five days a week, hours a day, year round. And in one night, that just stops completely. It goes down to zero. There's no training. There's no practices. There's no anything. There's no adult league. There's no professional league. With gymnastics, it's just done. Um, so the day of was just kind of weird, and a couple of weeks after that was just kind of weird. It just felt weird. But then for the next almost year, I'd say maybe nine months, it was actually really nice because when I went home for the summer, I could work out if I wanted to. I could go for a run if I wanted to, but there was no – weight on your shoulders of, you know, you have to be at this level of being in shape and you have to, when you run, it has to be a sprint or it has to be for this time or distance. And when you train, you have to do this much. There was none of that. It was just whatever you feel like doing, whatever you want to do, you can do. Um, So for a while it was very freeing and very just like nice. And it wasn't until the following spring I went back to watch a gymnastics competition at my university. You know, it's only it's less than an hour away from me. So it was easy to go to. Saw some friends, teammates I competed with, you know, watch girls competing that I went to school with. And that's when I was sitting in the stands like, oh, like, look at them competing and look at them having fun and look at them winning. And I'm not a part of that at all. What am I a part of? Am I a part of anything now? So around that time, I had also started a new job, or I would say my first real job, which was in D.C., working nine to five, you know, commuting, that whole thing. And I really did enjoy it. I was enjoying making money and working and all of that. But come May, kind of late May, I got that excitement of, oh, summer's here, like, get ready for summer. And it suddenly dawned on me, like, wait, you don't get summers off anymore. (laughs) And it's not like I didn't know that, but you just have that internal feeling still, you know, of like summertime comes and that's when you get a break and that's when you travel and that's when you do all that. And it just like consciously dawned on me, like, wait, there is no summer break. You just keep going to your job. You work year round you know, and I suddenly I was like, what am I working towards? Like, what is the point of this nine to five that you just do year round, year after year? And that's when I was like, I need another sport. I need a team. I need a focus. I need a goal. I need something that I feel like I'm actively working towards. So this is now about a year and a half after I graduated college. 
I found actually a roommate of mine at the time told me about a women's football team in D.C. They were considered semi-pro, but it was the highest level of women's football that existed at the time. And he said, hey, my cousin used to play on this team. Are you interested? And I was like, oh, my gosh, I love football. I've always wanted to try another sport, football in particular. Let me just go to tryouts and see what it's like. And so the tryouts was mostly fitness testing, you know, sprinting and sit-ups and push-ups. And at the end, they, they throw the ball a little bit just to see if you can catch and things like that. Um, but they kind of assume, okay, women in their 20s, especially this is now 10 years ago, there was no opportunity to play football as you're growing up. So they don't expect you to know the game and they don't expect you to understand it or to be good at it. But if you're in shape and you're willing to work your butt off and come to practices, we'll teach you everything that you need to know. So I ended up playing for them for three years as a defensive back. Again, loved every moment of that sport. Um, But after three years of that and 17 years of gymnastics, eventually, physically, it started to catch up with me and I was having some neck issues and things like that. So then I had to go through another transition out of sports. And again, it's like, oh, this is over. I'm not an athlete again. I don't have a team again. What am I working towards? You know, I still have this nine to five job, which yeah, is great to make money and have benefits. But like, what is the purpose? And so then it was like a whole second phase of transition that I was going through. And at that same time is when I was training to become become a life coach slash mental skills coach so those two things were happening at the same time very cool now you get to that point and you're training and you're studying for this new certification that's going to take you into this brand new world of mental skills coaching performance coaching unknown maybe what exactly clients you want to work with, but you have all the opportunity to make it your own and to really do this in the way that you want. And ultimately, it seems like you've settled back into a zone that you're familiar with and in athletics. And you've worked with some athletic organizations, you worked with the athletes themselves. And the first time that you and I chatted together, you talked about really three main areas that you work on. And one is related to performance, one is related to anxiety, and the other is related to goal setting. Can we break down those different aspects like as a coach and in the work you do right now, just go one by one. We'll start with performance. What does that mean and how do we help the people that we're working with? Yeah, so for me, performance coaching is... Getting athletes and performers, you know, I don't work with just, you know, traditional athletes. I have dancers and musicians. I have a poker player I work with. So athletes and performers, getting them to perform at their current capability most of the time or under pressure, I should say. So, so much of what I see are, you know, athletes who have a certain skill level, but it seems like during games or during tryouts or when they're being scouted, they're not able to perform at that level that they're capable of. So for me, performance coaching is getting them to a place where they consistently choose to perform at the level they're capable of, even under any added pressure. And then I add to that and say, you know, your other coaches, your head coach or your position coach or your conditioning coach, Their job is to raise your potential or raise your current capability. And my job is to make sure you perform at that level. Hey everyone, Christine here from Sweat with Stods, one of this show's sponsors. The Dynamic Leaders Podcast is here to help you be a better leader. And the best leaders take care of themselves both mentally and physically. I'm here to help on the physical side by making fitness accessible to everyone. As a certified personal trainer with years of experience coaching fitness classes, I've designed programs that can be followed at home and in the gym. These are intelligently structured programs, giving you a plan to follow to help you be successful. Build strength with my Get Strong at Home program, get quick results with Hit at Home 1 or 2, or work on your health outside of fitness with my Healthy Habits program. As a listener, you can get these programs at a discounted rate by entering code DYNAMIC at checkout. 
That's D-Y-N-A-M-I-C at checkout. So head on over to sweatwithstods.com. That's sweat with S-T-O-D-D-S.com to take the next step toward achieving your health and fitness goals today. So you just mentioned how there's really two different aspects to it, right? There's the mental side, obviously, but then there's the physical side, which for athletes in particular, and we'll just stick with that, is really what can elevate their game and take it to the next level. Do you get to do a lot of work in tandem with, let's say, for example, the head coach or the strength and conditioning coach? Or is that something that you rely on your clients to give you that information and say, hey, this is what we're doing. This is where we're headed. How can I unlock my true potential and move forward knowing this and doing the work that you do with them? Right. Ideally, if I can work close to the coaches, that is always best. Um, For a while, I had no coaches that were interested in it or the athletes didn't even want to tell their coaches, you know, I'm working with Amanda on kind of the mental side of my game um, because they felt like their coaches might not understand slowly I'm getting more and more coaches that understand the value more and more coaches that want to be involved. Um, and hopefully it keeps continuing in that direction. But for a long time, when I was working with just athletes or even entire teams, we would do all this great work. We'd make this great progress. They'd have things to work on. And then I'd send them back to their coach who didn't know any of it, didn't know what we discussed or worked on. And the coach would, usually and unintentionally kind of undo all the things we were working on, or at least not support the things that we were working on because they didn't even know what we were working on. Um, So the more that I can have coaches involved, just to make sure everyone's on the same page, coaches, myself and athletes, as well as to make sure what I'm doing is then enhanced and supported by the coach when I'm not around. That's always ideal and always produces better outcomes. Sure. Yeah. It would seem like the better alternative is to have that collaborative effort because it's, and I often run into this too in my line of work. So it's supporting the efforts, right? Like we're not trying to step on the toes of the head coach. We really want to enhance what their vision is or what they want to build for their organization or for their program. We're just there to help guide and support. So anytime you can get that collaboration to your point, I think is definitely beneficial and positive. Now, the anxiety part of everything, this is an issue that more and more seems to get attention, especially in professional sports and particularly with male athletes where for a long time there was a true stigma (laughs) attached to it and was very difficult, myself included, to talk about these type of things and to go through them. So we can talk about males in particular. We can just talk about the general population. But in general, how are we dealing with anxiety when it comes to athletes these days? Yeah, so I get so many calls from coaches and parents talking about, you know, my athletes – are great athletes or they do great things or they're capable of great things. And when it comes to games and competitions, they get super anxious. They're not sleeping for days before or they're not eating or they're nauseous or whatever it is. And then they don't perform at, at the level that they're capable of. And the coach or parent will say, you know, I don't understand. I keep telling them there's no pressure, just have fun. You know, there's no reason to be worried. And they say, there's nothing I can say that can make them not anxious. And what I truly believe is that we have created not just a sports culture, but culture in general um, that teaches people that the outcome is what is most important. And in sports, that means winning. Mm -hmm. Winning is what's most important. And we teach it not necessarily directly. We don't necessarily sit athletes down and say, hey, winning is most important. We don't say it word for word, but we do things that send them that message, which are, you know, if a team loses, we give them extra conditioning or extra practicing, or we yell at them. If a team wins, we give them, you know, I see parents all the time. Oh, the team wins. Okay, let's go out and get food and celebrate. So we reward we reward the winning and then the losing we punished or 
if a team loses, we fire the coach because they didn't win for us. Or if a team loses, we take our kid and we put them on a different team because we want to be on a team that wins. And all of these things, or even if, you know, your child loses and you tell them it's okay, you'll get it next time. Just that phrase is teaching them, okay, next time maybe you'll win. And therefore that's important. So we're teaching them through all these, the way we communicate, the way we talk, how we show up to the competitions, how we respond to the games. All of that is teaching the athlete that winning the outcome is what's most important. The problem is, is that while we can influence the outcome, we don't have control over it. So we can't control the officials. You know, they have an off day. They're performing themselves. So if they're not doing a great job, they can change the outcome. The weather, if your sport is outside, the weather can change the outcome. Play calling by the coaches can change the outcome. You know, if you're sick or if your teammates are sick or if a teammate is having an off day. All of these things can change the outcome. Therefore, we have very little control over it directly. So we're teaching athletes that, hey, the outcome's most important, and we want the outcome to be winning, and oh, by the way, you can't control that. So shocker that people are anxious about this, you know? (laughs) We're telling them that the most important thing is something that they can't control. So now, before games and competitions, the athlete is saying, you know, to themselves, what if we win? What if we don't make it to the next round? What if I get cut? What if I don't get picked in this tryout? You know, they're all focused on the outcome versus what do I want to do tomorrow? How do I want to show up? You know, what do I want to communicate? What do I want to share? How do I want to help the team? These are all process things that can be controlled. What I try to do with athletes is get, and parents and coaches is get them to start using language that really puts emphasis on the process and on things that can be controlled. Because if an athlete goes into a game knowing that the most important things are things that they can choose to control, that's where confidence comes from. That's where calm comes from. That's where presence comes from. And ultimately, that's where high performance comes from. This is a really interesting topic to me because not only do you see it really prevalent in the sports and athletics industry, as you just outlined, but this really does, I feel like, carry over into the corporate world, into Mm -hmm. people's working lives. You see it all the time, very high anxiety, people always constantly worried about getting this task done or answering this client at all hours, regardless of what else is going on. And there's a lot of pressure because in sports, it's winning and in business, it's money. And that's the bottom line. And if that's what people are taught to your point, then that's how they are going to model themselves in the way that what their thinking process is and how they react to the different parts of the process. So I'd love if we could build on this just a little bit. Sure. I think it's awesome to be able to get athletes or if we're in the corporate world to get the employees into this positive mindset that you just talked about and to have them focus more on the process and what things they can control for the outcome versus that winning or losing or the money that the company is making. What I'm curious about is how can we influence leaders? Because I'm just thinking about a scenario where a group of athletes, for example, has this really great mindset and they go into the situation with this head coach that wants nothing to do with that mindset and all that work that you've put in really becomes for nothing because if you can't apply it, then what are you doing it for? So how do we not only influence the athletes or the employees, but also influence the head coaches or the supervisors and the managers and corporate organizations? Yeah. So the reason I, I believe there's so many leaders, be it coaches or bosses or whoever it is, who unintentionally harm their employees or athletes. And, and when I say harm, I just mean, you know, they're not leading them in the right direction or they're providing, you know, an environment that creates stress and anxiety. The reason for that, I believe, is because mindset and mindset concepts and emotional intelligence by extension are all things that need to be taught and learned and practiced and trained, just like anything else. Sure. 
And it's something I really believe should be taught and learned and trained and practiced in school. As we're growing up, we should be taught what mindset is, where our thoughts come from, what it takes to understand thoughts and to choose thoughts versus just accepting the automatic ones that normally come out of your brain. You know, emotional intelligence, how to recognize your emotions and how to choose to move forward from them. You know, all of that should be taught, but because it's not, you know, we all, we have all these coaches and leaders that are just a product of whatever they have gone through in their life. And currently my struggle is a lot of coaches now have gone through a life where they've learned coaching from anger or fear is what you should do or yelling when you're not getting results is what you should do or benching players when they're not doing well is what they, what you should do. And so they've learned all of this. So now they're doing all of it. And then when I work with their athletes and send them back to them, they're not doing the things that are really, you know, supporting the work that we're doing. So in order to influence leaders, I truly believe, and this is a direction I'd really like to head, is that they need to learn what is a mindset? How does it work? How does that influence your emotions? And what is emotional intelligence? And how does that influence performance? I think leaders need to know, coaches and bosses need to know that they too are performing. And that leadership to me is just the ability to influence anybody in any way. So do you want to be a leader that influences them in a way that pulls them up? Or do you want to be a leader in a way that influences them, that pulls them down? And most hopefully are going to say, I want to pull people up. So in order to do that, you have to be taught and trained and practice on how to do that. For most people, it's not inherent. And for most people, they don't have the life experience that teaches them those things. You know, so it needs to be taught and practiced and consciously chosen to be worked on in order for those leaders to then influence the employees and the athletes. That makes a lot of sense. Now, moving on to that final aspect that I wanted to touch on the goal setting. This is one that always fascinates me because there's a lot of different policies out there. I don't know if policies is (laughs) the right (laughs) word, but ways to go about setting goals. And some people say, if you do it one way, then you're limiting yourself. And if you do it another way, then that's limiting. And I just would love to hear what your process is, why it works, and why you think it's effective for the people that you work with. Yeah, sure. So one struggle I have with goal setting is that so many people I see are setting goals that they think they should have, you know, things I should do, what's expected of me, these will be my goals. And so at the very root, before we even do any sort of goal setting, is trying to get them into a place, into a mindset, one, where they understand what their mindset is and why, and then two, getting them connected to who they truly are, who they want to be, what they want to work on, and even if they're not totally sure, what they think they might want to work towards. You know, there's so much, speaking of anxiety, of, you know, anxiety of choosing the right goal and choosing the right thing, and is this what I should be doing? So we try to Instead of that, what is something you think you might want to do? You know, I see so many kids going into college or they're in college and it's like, oh my, what major am I supposed to pick? Oh my gosh, I have to know right now what I want to do. And instead we reframe it. What do you think you might want to try, you know, might want to explore? And once we start getting them in a mindset of this is who I am, this is what I care about, these are my values. This is what either what I want to work on or what I think I might want to explore. Then we start choosing goals. And with sports in particular, even though I said, you know, we put so much pressure on the outcome to win. That doesn't mean I don't care about winning. That doesn't mean I I don't think we should work towards winning. You know, that's the fun part is, you know, are we going to get the championship this year? Are we going to go to conference? that are going to go to states. That's fun. It's fun to work towards that. And it's fun to have something clear that you're working towards. But with goal setting, if that's, I just tell everyone, we know that's what we want to do. Mm-hmm. We don't have to spend so much time talking about it and focusing on it. We know we can't totally control it. But if that's where we want to get, 
what are the process things we can work on through the season that'll help us get there? So for some people, it's skills, you know, my speed or my agility or my strength. And those are things you can easily measure. You get a baseline, then you work towards it. And it's almost like steps on a scale. And I say, you don't have to be perfect. We're not trying to get to a specific place, but we're trying to say, okay, if I run a 4.840 right now, what do I need to do to do a 4.75? And we work on a small step, things we can control, what type of training do we need? What type of coaching do we need? We need to change our diet or hydration or sleep or anything like that so that we get a little bit better and so that that outcome that we know we want of winning, we get closer to that. And some, for some people, it's not specific skills. It's my confidence or I want to feel calm and excited at games or I want to become a captain or more of a leader or I want to really encourage my teammates. And so then those are all things we can control by saying, okay, if you want to be more of a leader, what's one thing you can do at practice this week in order to show that? And athletes have so many answers. Oh, I can, you know, carry the equipment or I can offer to carry water. When my teammate falls down, I can pick them up. These are all things we can control. And again, we're not looking for a perfect situation or a perfect performance or perfect outcome. We're looking for them to do something that makes them grow as a person. And the more we do that and the more we focus on that, oh, by the way, that outcome that we know we all want, we get closer to that. So for me, goal setting is understanding, yeah, we want to win and that's totally fine. There's nothing wrong with it. But let's shift our goals away from outcomes and more towards process-oriented goals and then approaching them as a in a growth way. What can I do to get slightly better in this area? And I really think I'm so glad that you ended on that because as I was connecting the dots between the three different areas that I asked you to break down, it really seems like everything can be said that if you focus more on the process instead of the outcome, then your performance will improve or your anxiety will get better or you will reach more of your goals. Like literally every single thing is connected to that mindset. And I love how you just ended that because that's exactly where my mind was going. <laughs> yep, yep. And it's not just like, I think you just said it. It's, it's all connected to that mindset, which means to me, the mindset, your mindset is literally at the root of everything you do, performance-wise, sports-wise, how you interact with people, how you respond to situations. All Mindset is literally at the root of all of it. And the fact that we don't train or teach mindset is wild to me in the fact that this affects everything, 100% of things in your life. You know, being cut off on the road as you're driving, so many people just... <laughs> flip out or cuss or get <laughs> mad or, you know, because we didn't teach you mindset. We didn't teach you how to think in that situation and therefore how to respond. So mindset is at the root of everything. And if we can teach the concepts of it, how to understand it, how to choose it, how to apply it, then performance, then anxiety, then goal setting, then relationships, then anything can be influenced by it. So good and so true that using that analogy with the car, I think is so effective because it's <laughs> something we can all relate to. <laughs> yeah, we just kind of think, you know, we teach people, oh, as you get older, you should get wiser. We see college athletes who, let's say, mess up off the field and we say, oh, they're 19, they're 20, they should know by now. Mm -hmm. Well, how should they know? Did we teach them? Did we give them the tools they needed in order to? actually perform off the field or perform on the field or act what we expect a 20 year old to act like did we actually give them the tools or are we just saying oh by that age they should have just figured it out on, on their own and that's what we do and I think that's very unfortunate yeah absolutely and man we could spend hours and hours on these topics and mm -hmm. dive even deeper we'll probably have to do that again sometime <laughs> here in the near future. But sure. Amanda, if people want to find you on social media, website, can you provide that information for our listeners? 
Yeah, so shocking to most, um, I actually don't really do any social media, which is its own conversation in itself, but (laughs) (laughs) my website is btgcoach.com, and that's BTG as in beyond the game, because my approach is really, you know, yeah, I'm working with athletes, but what I do can also be applied to anything in life, including that transition out of sports or finding that career path one day or relationships, as I mentioned. Um, You can see all my information on there. Send me a message through there. My cell phone's on there. So that's how I can be reached. Awesome. I will provide that link in the show notes so our listeners can see that really easily. And Amanda, before I let you go, the show is called dynamic leaders. And I think you have beautifully showcased today why you are a dynamic leader and you're on the show and influencing all of these athletes today, tomorrow, and in the future. But I do always like to give my guests an opportunity to shout out someone in their own life who's been influential, maybe just from a general standpoint or from a leadership standpoint. Do you have somebody that you'd like to give a quick shout out to? Not one person in particular, but really my family, my parents and my three siblings. I don't think my parents have realized it, but, you know, the four of us now, the four kids, we're all doing pretty unique things, pretty out of the box things, trying things that, you know, haven't worked or are starting to work. And I think for my parents, it's like, oh my God, why can't you just be traditional kids and like (laughs) go get normal jobs with normal benefits? Um, But what I don't think my parents realize is that they somehow throughout our lives have really given us the mindsets of, you know, find things that make you happy, find things you're excited about. Don't be afraid to pursue these things, you know, really know who you are and be kind to people and share, you know, your gifts with people. And I don't think they totally realize that right now, but the four of us really have this mindset of we're not just going to settle for the easiest job, you know, or whatever we've been given or the next thing that's in front of us. We really do, you know, live a life trying to find what we're passionate about and pursue what we're passionate about. And on top of that, supporting each other, the six of us really do support and encourage and cheer for each other. And I think that's what gave me the most freedom to pursue what I'm doing now. Um, and gave me the confidence to keep going when it really wasn't going well, and I wasn't getting clients, and I couldn't figure out how to do it. You know, having them encourage me and support me and lead me to keep doing it, I think, has been life-changing for me. That is so cool. And like you said, such a special connection. I'm so glad you shouted out them all versus just one and <laughs> and ended this conversation on a really high note. But Amanda, thank you so much for taking the time to share everything that you've learned and that you've experienced and your guidance is going to help. I'm sure so many of my listeners and people in the future and just really can't thank you enough for taking the time to do this. Thank you so much. And really, thank you for having me. This was a really great conversation. I enjoyed it.